you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we will pick up in verse number 8, down through the end of the chapter, and uh, just a moment, I'll read that for us. Um, but before I do, uh, just kind of catch us all up as to where we are in the series that we started last week that I entitled um, Something Better. D- do you want something better? Because there is definitely something better there and it out there. There is, uh, this is not a kind of prosperity gospel. This is uh, God's word through the Old Testament prophet of Elijah. We are spending some four or five weeks in the life of Elijah leading up to what is coming next week as the, the pinnacle, so to speak, episode or situation in Elijah's life there on Mount Carmel, where there is one against hundreds of prophets of Baal and of the false god Asherah. And uh, that's what we are leading to, that every episode in Elijah's life is leading to that or from that. And so uh, this week we find him in the home of a widow. And so uh, that's where we are. Uh, After Elijah, we will spend four or five weeks um, looking at the life of Elisha, and we've entitled that Something Greater. So we've got something better and then something greater. So if you missed last week, here is what came about. If you didn't miss last week, it's been seven days and you've probably forgotten it. So let me remind you as well. Elijah finds himself, maybe not for the first time, but definitely for the first time in a long time, in this nation of Israel. Israel finds themselves under a pluralistic society. They are no longer, are they a monotheistic society or culture, meaning that everyone there or the vast majority of those that are there are serving and worshiping the one true God. They find themselves under the reign of Ahab. He is over the ten tribes up north, the northern kingdom, and he has, man, he has, he he has wed a darling of a girl called Jezebel. And Jezebel has killed hundreds of Jehovah's prophets in the region, and she has replaced them with prophets of Baal. They, along with Jezebel and Ahab, have led the children of Israel in the northern kingdom away from God. It states in Kings earlier that there was no king like Ahab who was evil. He was more evil than any of his predecessors before him in leading the children of Israel away from God. God when he comes on the scene in this situation, he doesn't look for 100,000 in the army. He doesn't look to uh, find a whole group. No, he looks for one man. And that one man was the man, Elijah. And I believe that 
is how he works even today, that he still looks for one person in the midst of a society, in the midst of a culture that goes away from him. He is not looking for the masses. He is looking for one man, one woman, one boy, one girl who would fully devote themselves to him that he might use to bring glory to his name. And so he finds Elijah, and Elijah is the one who goes in front of Ahab and says, hey, Ahab, you think it's going to rain? It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And we saw that God miraculously provided for Elijah by the brook Cherith with the ravens coming and feeding him every morning and every night. And then the brook dried up, and now we see this. If you have God's Word, look in verse number 8 of 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'll read down through verse 16. Then, after all of this, then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded the widow there to feed you. So he arose and and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her, called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God, the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went. And did as Elijah said. She and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you direct men and women, you direct boys and girls, you direct individuals to act. You impress upon my heart and upon our hearts to say things, to to go places, to do things for your name and for your glory. And so I, I come and I... I thank you for that. I thank you that you are a God of the magnitude, but you are also the God of the minute. That you work miracles, but at the same time, you are 
the one who works in the midst of the mundane task of our day. Father, as we look at this passage, God, I pray. Pray that you would allow me to to speak clearly to this church family. Father, you would give every single one of us ears to hear. Father, you'd give us eyes to see, not just the black ink on the page in our Bible, but Father, you would give us spiritual eyes to see what you desire in us and through us to accomplish from this passage today and future days. Father, I say it again, we all need to hear from you, every one of us. God, you have a word for us. Would you speak that into our hearts and into our lives? Use Elijah and this widow as an example for 2015, Hernando, Mississippi, and those that are in this place this morning. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The points this morning are this. The first is the true God is the God of the outsider. The the true God is the God of the outsider. You take whatever religion you want to that is in this world today, and they are not for the outsider. Every religion in this world, whether it is Islam, it is Hinduism, Buddhism, it's New Age, it is all about... The insider. You can be a part of this group, and if you are a part of this group, we will give you this special knowledge. We will allow you to come in, and we will allow you to see this religion. We will allow you to see this God, but there is only one who is the God of the outsider. And it is the one true God. Look at this situation. There is no rain in the land. Elijah has said to Ahab, hey Ahab, it will not rain until I tell you it's going to rain. And that was three years and six months. Three years, six months. Some 42 months, there was no rain. There was no rain in Israel, but there was also no rain in the region. And so God sends Elijah to a place outside of Israel. He sends him to Zarephath. And Zarephath, it states there in verse number 8, that it belongs to Sidon. You remember who is from Sidon. Her name was Jezebel, and Baal was from Sidon. And so God is sending Elijah, his man, his prophet, away from his chosen people, to the hometown, the home region, so to speak, of this false god Baal to this woman. And this woman is an outsider. Elijah walks through the wilderness some 100 miles 
to this place. He's already a, he's a wanted man. This, there is no safety whatsoever for Elijah. He is an individual who is on this trek that God has a hundred miles to Sidon, to the hometown of Baal. You and I, we've got to admit something this morning, don't we? That God has a sense of humor. Sometimes he really does have a sense of humor that he's going to take Elijah out of his comfort zone, feed him with ravens, feed and, and give him drink by a brook, and then he's going to take him even further and say, all right, I don't even want you in your homeland. I don't even want you around friends and family. I'm going to take you to a different land, and you got to walk there, and it's 100 miles, and I know you're a wanted man, and everybody's looking for you, so strike a try. And he gets there. Really, this is not easy for Elijah, nor would it be easy for you, nor would it be easy for me. He found himself outside of home, in a foreign land, totally dependent on God to supply and to answer every single need that he has. So Elijah goes. Question for you and me, if that's what God is saying for you and that's what God's saying to me, would you be willing to do it? Would you be willing to pay that price, to leave friends and family, to leave comfort, to go and be obedient? And then God says to Elijah, when he gets to this city, I just read it for you, when, it gets, when he gets to this city, he gets to the gate of the city, and God says, all right, that's the woman that I have for you. And I somewhat made a joke of it last week. Uh, what an awkward conversation that he must have had with this widow. kind of goes something like this. Uh, are you the widow from Zarephath that I'm supposed to talk to? Okay, well, I don't know you, or, or I don't even know what you believe in, but, but the God of the universe has told me to come and talk to you, and that you are going to make me something to eat before you make your last meal. I promise, I promise that God will replenish your oil and your flour all the days of the drought if you will do this. I mean, this lady doesn't know him at all. And he goes up and he has the audacity to say, hey, will you go get me some water, number one? I mean, men did not talk to women these days, this culture, let alone a Jew to a Gentile. But he says, will you give me some water? And she's on her way to get some water. And then he yells at her, so to speak, hey, and while you're at it, why don't you make me a cake to eat because I'm hungry? She tells him the truth. She says, I, I promise you, I don't have anything at the house. I'm gathering up sticks. My son is hungry. I'm hungry. We're gathering this up. I only have a little flour and a little oil left. And here's what my plan was. My plan was that I was going to eat this. My son was going to eat this. And then we were just going to starve because we don't have anything. And he said, yeah, that's good. You go do that. But first, get me something. The audacity that Elijah has. But the true God, the one true living God, the God Jehovah has gone before him and he's going to prepare not only and provide not only for this meal, but for every 
other meal through a miracle. Through a miracle with this outsider. The woman did this. God caused the ravens to feed him and now through this miraculous event, he caused flour in the bottom of a jug and oil in the, bot- in the bottom of a jar to not run out day upon day, meal after meal for the extended period of the drought. All because he obeyed and she was willing to obey. Do you think this is an important event? I mean, it's 1 Kings chapter 17. It's stuck in the middle of the book of Kings, but it, it's just the story. Do you think this is an important story? I, I tell you, it is so important that Jesus spoke about it at his first sermon. If you look in Luke chapter 4, you will read in verses 25 and 26 that Jesus brings up this event in his first sermon. Now, I've preached a number of sermons, but I I can remember my first sermon a little bit. Not very much, but I can remember it a little bit. It was on Ephesians chapter 4. It was uh, verses 1 through 6, and I preached it on a Sunday night at First Baptist Houston, and I was in the middle of seminary. It was my first real sermon, and I preached everything I knew from Genesis to Revelation. It took like 20 minutes, and it was, I mean, it was like that right there. But afterwards, here's what happened at my first sermon. My first sermon, I preached And at the end of it, the pastor took my hand. We walked to the back of the sanctuary, and everybody was filing out after the service. And here's what they did. They shook my hand. If they knew me real well, they hugged my neck. And some of them even had the audacity to say, you're the next Billy Graham. Uh, It was hilarity. It really was. That was my first sermon. Here's Jesus' first sermon. He says, hey... And what about in the days of Elijah? How many widows do you think were in Israel in the days of Elijah? Don't you think that there were a number of widows in there? There were. Jesus says there were many widows. But how many of them did Elijah go to? He said zero. God sent Elijah, his prophet, his man, outside of Israel to this outsider called the widow of Zarephath to minister and to do his ministry in and through her. And here's what happened at the end of his first sermon. They wanted, they rushed at him. All the religious leaders, everybody that was there, they rushed at him and they led him all the way to the side of a cliff. And they were going to push him off. First sermon. They wanted him done. What I love about it is, just it states this in Luke chapter 4. He just walked through them in their midst. They're, 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 ushering him they're pushing him to the edge of the cliff and then miraculously he just walks in the middle of them and they're like what happened what where'd he go that didn't happen at my first sermon that didn't happen at anybody's first sermon except for jesus's first sermon but this event this was so important and it is so important for you and for me to see that the one true god he is the god of the out This lady, 
the widow of Zarephath was an outsider. She was an outsider on a number of, le- a number of levels. She was a, a Gentile, so she was a racial outsider. She was broke. She had absolutely nothing left, so she was an economic outsider. She was a widow, so she was a social outsider. She was a pagan. She lived in the hometown of the Baals, so she was a religious outsider, and she was a woman. So she was a gender outsider, and that is the exact person, place, time that God sent his man. Every time that we have community kids life, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. We had it yesterday, had a great, great time, a great, great crowd that was there to help and for ministry to happen, and I think about Things like this. As we minister in this community, in this city. For even those that some might say are outsiders. God says, you are the ones that I love. You are the ones that I'm coming for. You are the ones that I died for. That's what's happening in this passage. And the question for you and for me is, do we see that? There was nothing in that day for sure, nor really in our day, that would make anyone think that this lady had any count. But God says to everyone like her, you count, I came for you, I desire to know you, I know this is how much I love you. Jesus was sent for you, that's what this passage is saying and that's what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 4 and that's what you and I need to be saying to every single person around us. You know, we would like to uh, look at this passage and say, all right, that's great. I mean, let's just tie a bow right here. And what a great miracle happened that Elijah was sent some hundred miles to... uh, Have this lady um, feed him and have God provide for him through the drought. And we would like to tie a bow right there and say, God, you're great. You you did this huge miracle. You continue to do this huge miracle every single day. And everything is just hunky-dory. It is great. And that's how you would think the story would end. You, You would think that the Hollywood ending of this movie would be that there's this picture of the jug and a picture of the jar, and, and they continue to, to decrease and then immediately just increase again. Decrease and increase. The, the flour goes down at the beginning of the meal, and it comes right back up for the next meal. The jug of oil goes down, and then it comes right back up. You would think that's, that's the great ending of the story. That's not God's ending. Look back in your Bible, and let me read for us verse 17 down through the end of the chapter. After this, after this whole miracle and many days of this miracle continuing to happen, after this, the son of the woman, so the widow's son, the mistress of the house, and you and I in our day think of the word mistress in a negative tone. This has no negative tone whatsoever. It is that she is the ruler of the house. She is the head authority in this house because it's just her and her son. So 
the son of the woman became ill. And his illness was so severe, Scripture states, that there was no breath left in him, i.e., he died. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come here, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. He said to her, Give me your son. Let me have him. And he took him from her, from her arms, and he carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and, and laid on him, and laid him, excuse me, on his bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and and he was revived. Verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This morning I will want us to finish our time on this point. There are a couple other points after this, but just going to condense them all into this one. Here's the point. Not only is the true God the God of the outsider, but the true God, the God Jehovah, is God who sometimes, sometimes, confuses and contradicts us. How in the world, how in the world could God save this widow and her son and then just sometime later, they were going to die. The kid was going to die because he was going to starve. Yet he saved them from starvation only to allow him to die Because of this illness. What God would do that? That confuses the woman. That confuses Elijah. That confuses you. That confuses me. Yet the question is this. Doesn't he do that to you and to me as well? Have you ever read Job? Let me give you the Tillman Cliff Notes real quickly about those 42 chapters in Job because it might have been a long time since you read it or you may never have read it. Here's the Tillman Notes, so to speak, of Job. For 38 chapters, Job has some terrible stuff happen to him in the first two chapters. Here's what happens. I mean, every time he turns around on one day, all of his servants died. All of his animals were killed. All of his kids were killed, and they're at... Multiple times, all of his houses were raided 
in one day, he turns around and there are four messengers that survive all of these attacks that come back and tell him, hey, Job, here's what happened. Hey, Job, from the other direction, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. And so Job finds himself on the ash heap and he is mourning and grieving for an extended period of time. And he has three friends that show up. And for a week, they are great friends because they keep their mouths shut and they just sit on the ash heap in mourning, in grieving with him. And then they open their mouth. And when they open their mouth, they say something along the same lines that this woman said to Elijah. Hey, what sin have you committed that brought about this huge calamity? Hey, Elijah, why in the world have you done this to me? Have you brought my sin in remembrance and killed my son? Is it because of my sin that this has happened? Continuing with the story of Job. Job's friends, they came. And to some extent, Job believed them. To some extent, Job did not believe them. He said, I I promise you, I haven't done anything wrong. But then as the story continues, Job starts questioning God. He said, God, why in the world is this happening? And I love, here's the end. Chapter 38, God shows up. He shows up, and he, when he shows up, he shows out. He says, uh, hey, Job, come here, let's talk, son. Puts his arm around him and says, come here, let's talk. Now, here's the deal, Job. I'm going to get my universe that I created and every speck of that sky all those stars and all those galaxies, I'm going to bring it to the table when we talk. Now you go get your universe that you created out of nothing and then we'll talk. Oh, you didn't? You, you, you haven't created a universe? You've never created anything? Then shut your mouth and do what I say. And Job says, yes, Lord. I'm sorry. You're God. I'm not. You understand. I do not. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, best-selling author, wrote it this way. Many, and I mean many, have this notion about God that that he goes against, if he goes against whatever I believe, then I'm not going to believe in that God. He continues, he says, many have what I call, he calls a Stepford God. And he has told the story of the movie, The Stepford Wives, and here's the movie in an extreme nutshell so you don't have to waste your time on Netflix and watching it, it is this, that there was a group of well-to-do men who didn't like being bossed around at their home by their wives. And so they made robots who looked like their wives. And in essence, they thought that they were having this relationship with their wife who would do everything that they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted it done. But in essence, really what they were doing is they had a relationship with themselves. And in the end, it was no good. And Keller says, hey... There are scores, multitudes of people who have a Stepford God. Meaning this. That 
quote, my God? My, my God, I understand totally. My God would never say or do anything that I would question that confuses me or contradicts me. In essence, aren't you then God? The one true God? The one who created everything? The one who created you? The one who created me? He confuses us sometimes. When things like 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17 down through the end of the chapter happen. He confuses us when you and I pray for something. We, we pray for a job and he gives us a job and then all of a sudden that job's taken away. We pray for a mate and he gives us a mate and then that spouse is not who we thought we married he, we pray for a child, he gives us a child, and then all of a sudden he takes that child away. We, we pray for this, or we, we know this is what he wants, and then it doesn't go as planned. And we're like, God, what in the world? He confuses us. Sometimes he even contradicts us. And what our thought was that he has brought about. There wasn't a sin there wasn't a sin of this widow. There wasn't a sin of Elijah. There wasn't a sin of a man or a woman. But it was all to display the power of Almighty God over the Baals, over the false gods, over this pluralistic culture and society. And there is still that same power for you and for me today. That the one true God rules and reigns. So if you've ever had a question like this about a job, about a spouse, about education, about why God allowed your mom to be taken, your dad to be taken, your grandmother to be taken, your son or your daughter to be taken, any question of God, why? Why did this happen? I'm reading through the biography of Ron Dunn. Ron Dunn was pastor out in Texas in the middle of last century um, through the 70s and 80s. He had an itinerant speaking, spoke at conferences, revivals. And Ron Dunn went through a lot and, you know, every single one of us go through a lot. But uh, Ron Dunn, in the midst of about three years, his son committed suicide out of absolute nowhere. His wife was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and was on her deathbed for a, a long time. He went through a 10-year period. It started in the midst of this. He went through a 10-year period of depression. And uh, we'll talk about depression in the Christian in a couple of weeks. But um, because of what the events of, of Elijah. But through that, Ron Dunn wrote this in, in his book. couple things and I close I promise he says this explanation never brings comfort now, you can take that one to the bank you, you might need to write that down for this week when you ask the question why and you want comfort from that you want an answer from that you, you you're like God why did this happen he says explanation never brings comfort 
Knowing the why does not bring comfort. It, it doesn't bring the person back. It doesn't bring the job back. It doesn't bring the situation back. Here's what brings comfort. The promises of God. The promises of God bring comfort. The promise of God in 1 Kings chapter 17 brought comfort. Not the answer of why. The promises of God bring comfort for you and bring comfort for me. And so Dunn says, instead of asking why, you and I should ask, just as he asked, all right, Lord, what now? This is not happening because of this lady's sin. This isn't happening because of any sin. There were no pad answers given by Elijah to this to this widow who had just lost her son. He didn't say, oh, if you just have more faith, this can happen. Oh, if you would just give this, that, or the other, this could happen. No, he says, give me the boy. And he goes upstairs and he starts praying. And he pleads with the one and the only one who can breathe life back into this boy. God has the power over death. Commentator states it this way, Thus, as the challenges by death grow in intensity, God Himself becomes more actively involved in the life-sustaining process, no longer commanding others, but Himself taking the initiative against death and overcoming death's challenges. Death cannot thwart God's. may not be this week, may not be this month, it may not even be this year, but every single person that is listening to me, myself included, will find ourselves just like that widow woman. We'll find ourselves in a situation that we don't have the answers to. We'll find ourselves in a situation that we're like, how in the world could this be happening to me? I'm doing everything that you want. I, I have no unconfessed sin that I know of in my life. Why is this, you fill in the blank, happening? Why did this happen? The reason it happened in 1 Kings chapter 17, the reason that it happened in Luke chapter 9, the reason that it happened in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 12, all throughout Scripture and even to this moment, the reason. so that a lost and dying world that has no clue about God might see one of his men and his women walk through the furnace praising him in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the questions of why in the world so that that person that sees you, that's a friend, that's a family member, that's a co-worker, that's an acquaintance, that's a neighbor, that might just be a passerby might see an almighty God that loves them. The widow, in the end, and I pray for myself and I pray for you as well, the widow in the end says, now I know. Oh, I know. That God, He's really God, and I know that you're a man of God. Heavenly Father, I pray God, there are those who are here at this very moment. Lord, they are going through a 
they are going through, Father, a situation in their lives. Father, six months ago, they went through this situation in their life. They're still asking the question, why? Next week, they're going to begin to go through a situation. They're going to start asking or want to ask the question, why? Father, there are people that we come in contact with. Why? Father, I pray that, we, that you would remind us of this widow and your man, Elijah. That when we step, God, you're right there with us. We're not alone. God, you are directing our paths. May you direct our tongue, our hands. Father, may the things that we think, Father, may they be thoughts that are pure from you and not soiled with the stain of sin that comes from this world. Father, this is a timely message, and I pray, Lord, that you would use it for every single one of us. God, whatever was of me, may it just fall away from the minds and the ears of these that are here. Father, whatever we need, may we put it in our quiver, may you put it in the quiver that we might use in the right time.